Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series in 2 Corinthians today, Power in Weakness. So turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Discerning Truth. You need a foundation from which you can examine all truth claims. If you don't have a place to stand, you're going to fall for everything. That's especially true in today's religious environment. I mean, I often hear of people who listen to and then approve of religious teachers. I mean, a wide variety of them, people who say things remarkably contradictory to one another. And yet, I see people listening to everyone and nodding their heads to everyone, regardless of how contradictory one teacher is from the other. See, in one sense, it's a remarkable day to be alive. I mean, the nature of information is such that it allows us to hear more perspectives than any other generation would ever have thought possible. For instance, the internet allows us to peruse mountains of information without knowing whether what's being said is either accurate or well-founded or well-reasoned or whether it's just kooky. And then countless blogs all expressing one opinion after the other. Well, they've launched many people out to sea without ever knowing how to find land or find a place to stand. And if that's you, you do need a place to stand. You, you need bedrock from which you can evaluate the vast amounts of contradictory truth claims. So here's an illustration. I once had a conversation with a man who told me he had just been convinced that hell didn't exist. I was interested and I told him that. Would he allow me just a bit of time to show him why hell does exist? And then amazingly, within five minutes of launching into my defense of the doctrine of hell, he told me he was convinced. And I was stunned because I knew that the next person into his office would convince him of the opposite in another five minutes. I mean, he tended to believe the last guy he listened to, or at least the last person who would make a compelling case about anything. I mean, that person might have been a great communicator or was in tune with the latest trend, or just happened to catch him on a given day. Maybe I'm describing you. Perhaps you're easily persuaded. Or perhaps you didn't even notice the vast differences between different positions. Or, or perhaps you don't have any foundational basis for evaluating any truth claims at all. Or, and this is equally serious, perhaps the basis you have for evaluating truth claims is just plain wrong. You're not even aware that the footing you're standing on is, in fact, sand. Well, you think that's a problem only for the modern era. Let me introduce you to the times of the New Testament. Not only were there multiple temples to numerous gods and goddesses, most people were syncretistic. That is, they simply borrowed a little bit of theology from this temple and from that goddess over there and from this ritual worship over here, and they just put together their own mixture of religious ideas without even worrying that they had allowed contradictory ideas to float freely in their minds without even once being alarmed that everything they believed was built on sand. It's just a series of incongruous thoughts. And then came the gospel of Jesus. There is but one Lord, Christian said, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, he died for our sins, was raised from the dead, is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will return to judge the living and the dead. He alone is Lord, none other. Anyone else who claims to be Lord is wrong. 
And immediately, at least in the minds and the hearts of Christians, I mean, that drove out all the darkness of syncretistic belief systems. Christians knew that once they confessed Jesus as Lord, the difference between truth and falsehood would always be there. Don't believe every spirit, says the New Testament. Know the difference between truth and error. Have a place to stand. But I wish matters had been that easy. You see, very soon in the story of the early church, there were a group of teachers known as Judaizers, and they began to preach their unique brand of Christianity. They taught that in order for people to be saved, well, you needed to be circumcised, and then you needed to adhere to Jewish dietary restrictions and be known for rigid adherence to the law of Moses. So they taught you have to believe in Jesus. Yes, but you also need to do that other stuff. And that was contradictory to what Paul had said. He had said we're saved by faith and by faith alone. And these teachers had made their way to the city of Corinth, the largest and most important city in Greece at that time. And Paul had planted the church there, and he had taught a very different doctrine from that of the Judaizers. But after he had gone, the Judaizers came, and they had convinced many. But they also did more. They convinced their followers that they had a superior authority to that of Paul. In fact, they had letters of recommendation. I mean, what was that? And why was that important? See, the idea of a letter of recommendation was very common in the culture of that day. See, when someone was looking to have access to a certain group of people, they would typically present letters from well-respected and influential teachers in which letters would attest that a given teacher should be accepted and trusted in any community. Well, this is fascinating. Paul used these kinds of letters. I mean, think of his pre-conversion experience, Acts 9, 1 and 2. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So I hope you can see this. Wherever Saul of Tarsus went to arrest Christians, he would first go to local synagogues. There he would give the synagogue leaders letters of recommendation from the religious establishment in Jerusalem, telling the local synagogue that Saul should be allowed to pursue and arrest Christians wherever he found them. That's why local synagogue leaders let him do that. He had letters of recommendation. It was very important. But even after his conversion, Paul also still used letters of recommendation. Here's an example. It's found in 1 Corinthians 16, 10, and 11. It says, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now, what is it that we see here? It's a letter of recommendation. It tells the Corinthian church to welcome Timothy, and it explains how they are to treat him. Now, when the false teachers, that is the Judaizers, arrived in Corinth, they also presented letters. And you can be absolutely sure that those letters weren't from the apostles. The apostles at the Council of Jerusalem had already denounced the teaching of the Judaizers, but but in those days, the news hadn't gotten out yet. And there must have been some prominent teachers in that day who were happy to give the Judaizers letters, letters that would commend them to any local Christian congregation. 
And the letters would probably have said something like, I, so-and-so, a well-known Christian teacher, recommend so-and-so to be received by any Christian congregation. And on the strength of those letters, the false teachers gained access into the Corinthian congregation, and they created chaos. And by the way, I think that still happens today, but it, it happens under slightly different circumstances. Think, for instance, that someone, let's say they read a book, and then they show that book to his or her pastor, or maybe it's a trusted theologian, and that person asks, do you recommend this book? And the answer is often just a short one, either, yeah, it's a good book, or no, it's got all sorts of problems. You see, a great many people will determine what they read based on recommendations. So think of these letters of recommendation in the same way. Should we give these false teachers access to our pulpit or not? Should they be allowed to teach in our Bible studies or not? How many of you know that there are some people will recommend just about anybody? Now, of course, it's hard for us to know how these false teachers got the letters of recommendation that they had or just who gave it to them. But however it happened, the false teachers showed up in Corinth and presented their documents and seemed to have been quickly accepted as Christian teachers for the church. And when these false teachers began to teach and when some of the more astute Christians in Corinth would have pointed out that this was exactly the opposite of what Paul had been saying, the false teachers must have pointed out, look, Paul didn't present any letters. He's, he's just a freelancer. He's freewheeling. He's operating under his own authority. Don't listen to Paul. He doesn't have any letters of recommendation. Now, I gave all that as background to help us to understand 2 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3. Because of the nature of the charges made against Paul, and because it affected the doctrines that the people in Corinth were believing, Paul is forced to respond to the charge that he has no letters. Paul knows that Jesus himself has called him to be an apostle. But what if some of the Corinthians doubted that? Well, he couldn't produce a letter from Jesus, or could he? See, that's the drama of today's passage. On what basis should we trust Paul? What if he's simply operating on his own authority? And with that, we might ask today our own question. Well then, can we trust the New Testament? The past number of years back to the Bible Canada has been blessed to offer a unique Israel experience. A journey to the Holy Land under the teaching of Dr. John Newfeld, discovering first-hand locations across Israel so prominent in the Bible. On every occasion, those in attendance have agreed it was a spiritual experience of a lifetime. Now's the time to plan ahead. In April of 2021, Back to the Bible Canada is offering our next Israel experience, and we want you to attend. Join an intimate group of brothers and sisters journeying across Israel under the teaching of Dr. John Newfeld and experience events and activities that will include Laugh Again's Phil Calloway, very special musical guests, and hosted by the Back to the Bible Canada ministry team. Plan to attend. Take advantage of having plenty of notice and register today. For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. You know, every once in a blue moon, I run into someone who calls himself or herself, I guess, a red-letter Christian. Have you ever heard of that? 
This is the person who has a Bible in which the words of Jesus are in red, and they say, I believe what Jesus said and no one else. It's really a crazy idea because, as you know, we don't have any words in our Bible that were actually written by Jesus. All we have are words written by others who tell us what Jesus said. So how do we know we can trust them? And and for that matter, how do we know we can trust the rest of the New Testament writers? On what authority are we to trust them on their own? See, that's the struggle the church in Corinth was dealing with. The New Testament hadn't been written in their day. Which teachers should they believe? And so along came the Judaizers, and they've got the proper letters. So with that, let's read our passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Paul writes, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourself are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. See, we notice how Paul begins his defense. Are we, he says, beginning to commend ourselves again? It's an important sentence because in that day, anyone without a letter of recommendation who went on their own evaluation of themselves, well, that would be frowned upon. Recommending yourself? I mean, what's that all about? It's egotistical. It's like saying, I'm an authority on me. I am authority. I mean, who believes that? And that's Paul's question. Do you believe that I'm trying to commend myself? And in an instant, it looks like Paul is on his heels. Why should anyone listen to him? Indeed, it's still the question. Why should I believe either Paul or, for that matter, the entire Bible? You know, in our day, you know, a university degree or a trade school diploma or ticket sometimes works like an ancient letter of recommendation. I mean, we wouldn't allow a medical doctor to practice his or her trade without the proper credentials. We want to know, is this doctor to be trusted? Or who would get on an airplane unless we had the belief that the airline company would never hire a pilot without the proper documentation as to whether or not they had been trained according to agreed-upon standards. And that brings us to the religious teachers. So I hope you can see that so much is at stake here. It's more than doctors or pilots. I mean, what's at stake is not just the physical life of people. What's at stake is their eternity. The question of whom to believe is the question of eternal significance. And when it comes to Paul, who wrote a big chunk of our New Testament, are we to accept his word based on his own recommendation? You know, perhaps, as some have said, he's just a religious peddler. He's out for money or fame or the reputation he can establish for himself. Or, asks Paul, do you think we need letters of recommendation? Either a letter from someone else to you or a letter from you when we go and minister somewhere else. See, what's behind that question is a very basic one. Which religious leader do you trust? All of them? Some of them? On what basis? See, that's what the Christians in Corinth were struggling with. And, and might I say it? That's what a lot of Christians are struggling with today. Who do I listen to? You know, in his case, Paul now responds to his critics who say he has no letters of recommendation. He says, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation. I think that statement caught the false teachers completely off guard. It was Paul, not the false teachers, who had come to that city and founded the Christian church there. 
He had won them to Christ. He had fought for their salvation through much suffering. He had taught them and he had established their church. Most of them were in Christ because of Paul. You, you are our letter of recommendation, he says. And by the way, none of the Judaizers could say that. And that's the problem with what they taught. You know, if it was Jesus plus keeping the Jewish law, which would include, you know, circumcision and dietary restrictions and separating oneself from Gentile contacts and all of that stuff. Well, listen, the Judaizers never won anyone to Christ. They just followed the evangelists and they subverted their work. They didn't build the church. They corrupted the church. See, I've noticed the same thing about false teachers in our day who infiltrate the Christian faith. They don't bring the gospel to people who have never heard. They don't make converts. They subvert. They don't win the lost. Let me use an easy example, liberal theology. You know, I have a friend who characterizes liberal theologians as parasites. Liberal theologians are Bible deniers. They poke holes at the idea of believing in an inerrant Bible. They suggest that Jesus didn't suffer the penalty of sin on the cross and that he didn't satisfy the wrath of a righteous God. They suggest that the new sexual ethics of today should be adopted by the church and the idea that all sexual relationships should be confined to only one man and one woman in sacred marriage for life. They suggest that's lacking in compassion with those who disagree. These teachers suggest that hell is an outdated doctrine. They deny the Trinity. They deny the resurrection of the dead. They deny that God created human beings as male and female, that it was God who assigned our gender to us. But these people are parasites. They feed on those Christians someone else has won to Christ. They don't win anyone to Christ. But once the gospel is sown in someone's heart, like a parasite, they come and they suck the life out of the healthy host. Then if the healthy host dies, the parasite dies as well. You think about it. See, many a Bible-believing church, many a seminary where pastors are being trained, many a denomination has been invaded by those teachers who deny scriptures alone as the sole source of the authority of the believer. They don't painstakingly examine the words of Scripture and faithfully teach it. No, no, they corrupt it. Yeah, they have letters of recommendation in the form of multiple theological degrees, but in time, that theology causes the church to eventually decline and then to die. See, notice the contrast in Paul. Look, he says, you are our letter of recommendation. You're written not on paper, but on our hearts. That is, in preaching the gospel and seeing you one to Christ, we've boasted in you and in your marvelous transformation. We've told everyone that is our letter of recommendation to be read by everybody. It was back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 to 11. Paul described the kind of people that he had won to Christ. Listen to what he says. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And now here's the key line. And then he says, and such were some of you. That is, that's how I found you. But then you were washed, you were sanctified, you met Christ, you encountered the Holy Spirit, and your hearts were transformed. 
And that brings Paul to the conclusion about this matter of letters of recommendation. You, he said, are our letters of recommendation, but you're not written with ink. You're written with the Spirit of the living God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Were it not for the Holy Spirit in your life, you would not have come to Christ. And that is the work of the Spirit. You see, it was the Father who planned our redemption from eternity past. Then it was the Son who was sent by the Father who provided for us a sacrifice and the way into the Father's presence. But here now, this is the importance of the action of the Holy Spirit. We all, all human beings, are fallen from grace. None of us would have found the gospel to be attractive. I mean, given our natural bent towards rebellion against God, we would all, without exception, have rejected the saving news of Jesus. We would have brushed it aside and remained eternally unresponsive. You are our letter, says Paul. When we preached to you, the Holy Spirit was present in the gospel that we preached, and you turned from darkness into light. And that's the key to discerning the truth. See, the truth of Christ comes from Christ. It's sent by God to rescue a man or a woman from darkness into light. When we turn from that gospel, the saving message of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, when we turn to anything else, regardless of the credentials of the person who preaches that gospel, we are in error. Stand firm on this truth. God has sent his son and he has given his apostles to tell us the truth. This message has come in the power of the Spirit and has brought salvation to millions. John, this is a great message. You know, I I think there's conversation we could have for a long time about this type of thing, about, about truth, about deception, about all these things that are going on within the liberal church and all that. But the bottom line is, do we not just have to come down to the fact as Christians that that just the Word of God is truth and we just have to buy into it? Yeah, we do. Um, ultimately, we're going to have to hold that which is authentic in our hands, which is Scripture. And we have to ask the Holy Spirit to give us a love for Scripture. And, and once we have that love for Scripture, even when the Scripture condemns something in us, never let go of Scripture because here we have the source of God's truth. So let God be true. Let every man be a liar. And let's hold to that. I mean, that's the, the challenge for us today. And it's an important challenge that we hear it. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue in our series, Power in Weakness, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. One way we want to walk with you in your Bible study is to provide helpful tools and resources. This month, as our free gift, we'd like to send you a unique Back to the Bible Canada Bible Note Caddy. Some might think this is a bit old school, but this small journal comes with aids to help you take important notes, highlight important verses or sections of study, and it comes with a limited Back to the Bible Canada pen. These are limited in number, but if this is a tool you'll find helpful, request your free Bible Note Caddy today. And just a reminder, we're praying for you. And we're also blessed to know ministry friends from across the country are also praying for this ministry. What an encouragement. So call us today to request your free Bible note, Caddy, or send in your gift to support the Bible teaching ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. 
at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.